I pulled out of Northville and headed down With my head up to keep from crying Watch the sunset without Hey everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs coming at you with another episode. So before I get to this one, I do have some, I don't know if it's bad news or good news or what, but basically the news is that I'm going to be a bit more sporadic in getting these up. I had a good run there for a while, getting once a month, maybe even once every couple weeks earlier this year, but now I've kind of hit that lull where I think it's going to be a while before the next one. So the best thing for you to do is to subscribe Follow me on Twitter at Four Songs Two. That's at Four Songs Number Two, and make sure you don't miss anything. Because if you do, you're not going to like it. Because if you miss this one, for example, you're going to miss a fantastic interview. So my guest this episode is returning. His name is Ian Jones. You may remember that about a year and a half ago, I featured Ian on an episode when he was talking about his newest EP called Evergreens. Ian is based out of Seattle. He is a singer, songwriter. I mean, he was born to write songs, as he'll tell you. Now, as the industry goes these days, it's unfortunately not a full-time job for Ian, though he wants it to be. And if you listen to this episode, you're going to make damn well sure you can do everything you can to help him get there. As you'll learn in this episode, music is as much about the journey as it is the destination. And Ian's been on a hell of a journey, as we chronicled the first time, but even more so now. We talk about his latest album called Results Not Typical, which was actually recorded prior to the pandemic. Indeed, he had actually sent some review copies out and was about to hit the road and support it big time. And he decided, instead of trying to support an album that you can't tour, he held it back. In the meantime, Ian released The Evergreens and has been working on new material. But in this episode, we kind of take a look back. Again, as a result, it's not typical, which is now coming out and is actually available right now on all the mediums that you can think of. Results Not Typical was produced by his longtime friend and producer, Jesse Seibenberg, who is a renowned session musician and a fantastic producer in his own right, based out of L.A. and California. This episode, we talk about how he met Jesse, which was kismet. It was a by-chance meeting after an open mic night when Ian performed one of the songs we're going to talk about here called Goodbyes Are the Hardest Words, and a stranger came up to him in tears telling him, you've got to record this song with my friend Jesse. So it was luck, it was kismet, but... Of course, you need fantastic songs to get anywhere, and thankfully, Ian has some amazing tunes here. And we're going to talk about four of them from Results Not Typical, Rollin', Someday, Without You and Lost, and again, Goodbyes Are the Hardest Words. i got to warn you, this is a pretty emotional interview at times. Songs like Someday, they pack a punch, and it's still pretty raw. So forgive us if we get a little deep, if we get a little emotional. This interview really is about trials and tribulations, his experience trying to get noticed, trying to make a living at this. It's not easy. He works tremendously hard. As I said, he is a true craftsman. And really, to kind of wrap this up and turn it over to, to Ian, I want to compare Results Not Typical to one of the first so-called alt-country records of, well, not ever, <laughs> obviously been going way back, but the first big hit from the mid-'90s, Sunvolt's Trace, as you may remember, contained a song called Windfall. Windfall and Trace were all about kind of carefree, caution to the wind, and just getting in the car and driving. Well, Results Not Typical, in particular the song Rollin', it's kind of the updated version of that for our times. So sit back, listen in. This is a doozy. Anyway, please welcome Ian Jones back to Four Songs. Good to be back. Good to be yeah. back. 
I think we spoke about a year and a half ago. I think it was November, December of 2021, right as Evergreens was coming out. So uh, how's the last year been? Year and a year and a half, I guess. Well, you know, heck, man, I've been super busy. I've been playing a ton, traveling a ton. More so like the last six months, really kind of leading up to this. I knew this was coming. I figured in between Evergreens and 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 Results Not Typical, I would kind of, and I don't want to say radio silence, but I kind of, I was kind of post here and there, kind of do stuff and oh, I'm playing shows and that. And, but I've kind of, I've kind of ramped it up. And then like in the beginning of before Christmas, I went to Texas and played. And then I went to Nashville in February and played, came back. And then I just spent four weeks on the road doing a radio promotion tour hmm. for this record. And then the record came out. And I guess it's all the stuff that I've garnered over the last, you know, since, like 2013, when I decided I was going to really try to get back into music full time and I had to relearn the industry and make a plan. And I made this plan and I've kind of been instituting the plan that I've made. I, I don't know. I don't know whether my plan is right, but it's my plan. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. And and I'm and it seems to be working out. OK, so it's like my plan is. To try to figure out the industry, which is changing in real time. And I don't really know where I don't really know where I'm going. I'm approaching it completely differently than I think. And I don't even I think I probably was doing it, but I didn't know it when we talked last. I it's it's become more apparent to me what I'm doing now. And I guess the time will tell. Really. Yeah. Time will tell if I'm if my plan is the right one or not. So taking it back to, to Jesse Seidenberg, he's your producer. And so you did Evergreens and you did this together. How did you all meet? How did that connection occur when you were in LA or Southern California? Yeah, I was in Santa Barbara. And uh, Santa Barbara is a incestuously small town. And I was playing uh, solo and then I was, I was in a band and uh, we played all over the place. And we, again, being such a small town, there's a, you know, you pretty much in a minute, you know, everyone who's doing anything. And we were, you know, we were a good band. That I was in, and so we got invited to play all these like private parties, and there was like like mini festivals. There was people that have you know, I mean, boatloads of money in uh -huh. the Santa Barbara Montecito area. So they live up on the hills, and they build like an amphitheater in their yard with the backdrop is the ocean and the Channel Islands. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's, you couldn't even put it in a movie. And then you get people that show up, like Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers, and you know, and. Ronnie Blair from the Heartbreakers and, you know, uh, Randy Tico and 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 Jeff Pivar and, and all these huge players just show up because they live there and they're like, oh, so-and-so is having a party. And they may not even get up and play. They're just hanging out, having a beer, enjoying the view and enjoying the, the, the community of music. So one of the things that would happen was, you know, Jesse would show up. And, you know, Jesse's dad is Bob Siebenberg from Supertramp, and and he lives in the neighborhood, and he knew all these guys, so he would come out and hang out. And then what would happen is that we'd all play, but then afterwards, after the festival or party or whatever it was was over, they'd kick everyone out except the few scragglers, which is, I like to think of it as us. We were scragglers because we had nowhere else to go, and we were young. We were in our 20s. We'd hang out you know, smoke a joint or pass a bottle of whiskey around and sit around a campfire and just play like Beatles songs and everyone would sing and play. And that's how I met Jesse. So we would, 
play together at these parties and we became friends. You know, it's one of those things when you, I don't know, it's just a kinship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And it, with him, he and I, it, it worked. And then when I was trying to make this record up in Seattle and I got, I kind of got burned. Um, it was a drag. And I was talking to a friend of mine down in, in Santa Barbara and he said, you know, I've been telling you to make a record with Jesse for 20 years. And I'm like, yeah, but he's busy and he's this and he's that. He's off. You know, it would just, it was always, you would get these messages like, oh, check me out. I'm going to be on Letterman tonight. Check me out. I'm going to be on the league. Because he would go play with people. He was one of those guys that got picked up as a touring backing okay. musician. Uh, but he could play any instrument. He could play drums. He could play guitar. He could play steel. He could play this. He could sing. And I was like, oh, no, he's too busy. He's this, he's that. And and Je- and John said, no, no, no. He he just had a kid, and he's taken a year off. Perfect time. So I, I did. I reached out to him, and I was like, well, you know, I just got burned. And would you be interested in doing a song or two or, like, an EP? I thought I was going to have to do, like, the two-week follow-up. The obligatory, oh, I don't know if you got my message, but, you know, because that's how it always, it's like when you're trying to book a show and you, you're contacting a club or a booking agent, you're like, well, just following up, you know, mm-hmm. and I, so I sent him this long text, I have his number, I, I sent him this text, and I expected, like, I'm like, I pushed, sand. I was, I don't know, I was scared, I was nervous, I'm like, I hit sand, I'm like, oh, man, that's done, and, like, 15 minutes later, I got this scrolling text back from him, and he's like, oh, man, I love your stuff. I've been following you online. I already know who's going to play on the songs. Yeah, get down here. Check out the studio. It's going to be so much fun. And I was like, oh, shit, right on. <laughs> you know? So you had already, you were back home, I guess, and then you recorded this album. So the result's not typical. So obviously, listening, having listened to it a number of times, it's fairly influenced on your leaving Seattle, correct? Going out to California? Yeah, so I was, I was sitting with a friend of mine before... When I was, again, back in like 2013, I was I was wanting to try to get back into music full time because I I had taken like 10 years off, had a family. In that time, the whole industry had changed. I was like, I, I had tried to be a, for lack of a better term, a hobbyist musician, and I was miserable at it. I mean, if I'm not going 110 miles an hour with my hair on fire, I'm not happy. And especially with music. So I'm like, crap, I guess I got to go back into this full time and do all this stuff. And I was sitting with a a friend of mine who's, you know, I remains unnamed because he's kind of like the silent partner in the whole thing. And he said, you know, he goes, you're a really good songwriter and all your records have been really good, but you are kind of scattered all over the map. He goes, you make a record and it's like, there's some rock stuff. There's some country stuff. There's some ballads. There's this weird, we call it Elliot Smith music, which is like <laughs> dark, twisted, kind of weird stuff. And he goes, you put it all on the same record and that's great. And people like it. He goes, but if you want to break into the industry, you got to pick a lane. But once you establish yourself, then you can do whatever you want. And then he used Ryan Adams as an example. He goes, look at Ryan Adams. You know, he did Whiskey Town. He came out, he mm-hmm. did a couple of these like alt country records established himself and the guy can and then he i mean he can re-record a taylor swift album and everyone's like great it's like had he done that to begin with they would have been like who the hell is this guy what the hell does he think he's doing it just goes to show how the industry is and so i i went back and i i um like i had written the song roland 
And I looked at that and I'm like, you know, the theme for this lane is going to be traveling around the country because I've toured all over the country. I've seen stuff. It's going to be traveling. I kind of want to make it in this kind of Americana, old school kind of outlaw country vibe because that's what I love. Also, musically, I wanted it to be similar. So if you were to deconstruct all these songs, you would find that on a guitar, they're all very similar. Mm-hmm. The same way if you deconstruct a lot of like Tom Petty songs or like Jackson Brown songs, you'll find, I mean, you'll sit down and you'll like try to figure them out. You think it's going to be complicated. And you're like, oh, fuck, this is just GCD too. It's like, wow, <laughs> yeah. anyone can play this. And I, yeah. I did, wanted it to be so anyone who had a rudimentary, I, you know, knowledge of the guitar could sit down and figure the songs out. <laughs> oh, we'll look forward to, to hearing it but uh you mentioned Roland so we're going to talk about four songs from the album Roland Someday Without You I'm Lost and Goodbyes of Hardest Words and yeah I think you just hit the nail on the head talking about traveling and leaving leaving home and then coming back and I would say a lot of great songs are written about that what is it about that like longing for either coming home or leaving home that you think just makes a fantastic song well I think it's funny because so I, I know a lot of people in, in through my life. I mean, I'm 53. I've met a lot of people and I've been like, if I look back at my hometown, like where I was born and where I grew up, there are people that have, I call it escaped, but people that have left and gone off to college or gone off and traveled and gone off and done whatever. And then there's people that still live in the exact same town. And I think that's consistent Whoever you talk to, wherever you go, there's going to be that consistency. They're going to be the people that have left and they're going to be the people that have stayed. And it takes some stones to leave Mm -hmm. because I think human nature is rooted in comfort zone. Everyone's comfortable when things aren't changing. Change is strange. Change is weird. Some people embrace it. Some people run from it. So leaving your comfort zone i mean i moved from to, from where i was born up to seattle to go to university of washington and then you know live in the big city and play music but it's 40 miles away so that doesn't really count that's like there's an asterisk next oh he moved out of his hometown asterisk yeah. 40 miles away that's not really doesn't count that's what um, i did <laughs> right but when i when i went to go to california i it was i had never moved to a totally different state I mean, I'm, now I'm 1,500 miles away, um, which you can remove the asterisks now. And and it's fun and all that. But then you realize you're in a different state. Everything's different. Like I could, up here in the Northwest, I could go out. I could live for the rest of my life in the woods and I could survive. I know how to hunt. I know what plants I can eat. I know what's dangerous. I know what's poisonous. I know what to stay away from. Down in California... It's fucking rattlesnakes, poisonous spiders, or scorpions. I'm like, I'm not going off the trail. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. Everywhere I go, and, and I think is, I love to drive. I love to travel. I love to see the country. So being a musician, it's great. I mean, you get to see all this stuff. And you can draw inspiration from that. You can draw inspiration from the topography and what you see, the rock formations, the, the skylines, the wild horses, everything, different towns. But also you can draw inspiration from moving to a new place and having to have your guard up. And then I ended up moving back home. And really at the end of the day, 
I love the Northwest. This is where I want to live. This is where my home is. As far as Roland goes and the whole record, a lot of it is is written about the traveling, the moving, having to have your guard up. You move around to do this stuff at a cost. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, there's a lot of inspiration that can be drawn from that across many records, I think. Yeah. Well, let's start with Roland and Perfect Driving Song, as the, the title implies. But it, when I heard it, I, I fell in love with it. But it kind of sounded like, are you familiar with the Sunvolt song Windfall in the mid 90s? Like, this yep. is sort of like an updated version of that. Well, I'll take that. that. Yeah. Well, it's such a, <laughs> I mean, just, it's a little different, you know, Roland. Like, I feel like, you know, Windfall is just like carefree. Let's just drive. Whereas I think there's a bit more going on in, in Roland and, you know, it's been more updated, I think. So, again, I think you may have just talked about it, <laughs> but just the inspiration, it sounds like you're leaving, um, you're leaving home here in this yep. one. Yep, I was leaving home, pulled into California, mm-hmm. not knowing what was going to happen. I pulled out of Northville and headed down With my head up to keep from crying Watch the sunset without a sound and I hit that road I was rolling And I crossed that border California bound And the night was falling down, coming on fast I think the line I like is the the second verse with the line, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. But it feels like in your voice, you can kind of hear like, I don't know if you feel that way. Because um, there's a... Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of trepidation to that. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm leaving. And like I said, it takes a lot of balls to get up and leave your hometown. And then, and it's, it's, it's one thing to talk about it. I'm going to leave. Screw this place. I'm out of here. And then when you do it, and all your shits in the back of your van and you're driving across the border and you're like, and part of you is like, yeah, I got Tom Petty on the radio. I'm cranking down the road. This is great. Then you're like, what am I doing? (laughs) So, but without doing that, you wouldn't open up all those other doors. It's kind of like gambling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't gamble as far as card playing or craps or anything like that. But, oh man, you know, there's that line in the Ryan Adams song, um, Sweet Carolina. I ain't never been to Vegas, but I've gambled all my life. Yeah, pretty much. That sums it up right there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I wonder though, cause you, you talk about having found your, your home, your back home, but um, have you found that piece that you talk about in this song? Because I think maybe that's what makes songwriters so so good. Is maybe you're still looking for it, but um, as you say in the song, you're still rolling. With my guard up to keep from falling, but I didn't seem to find any peace around, and so I.
selling that, I don't know, piece is not being not the right word, but but I you know it's funny is that now when I sing that song, I've changed that last line. I changed it to so I hit the road and I kept going. That's what I sing now. And I feel like that's more accurate. Like I hit the road and I kept going. And I feel like I'm still going. I'm back home and I've made my roots back here, but now I'm spending more time away from home traveling you know like i've got this 10 state loop now and i've got texas and i've got nashville and i'm trying to expand to the southeast well one thing i, I like and, and this i've always found hard even as a quasi writer you know when i was younger not a songwriter but just a, a writer like a reporter or whatever and is being brief and how hard it is to, to learn that and that's what i feel like is so what makes this song so special is it's like three verses and you know exactly what's going on you feel it and I, this, how long does it take to kind of sharpen that like to know what to say and what not to say to leave people but, but to, to leave that picture that's so clear what's going on i learned a lot about well i i basically from songwriting i i've studied i studied intensely i studied the beatles and that was more form like song form and then i've studied like tom petty and bob dylan lyrically but i learned a lot and i think i told you this before i learned a lot working with jim messina mm -hmm. um about songwriting and you want to be able to get across your point like like you say roland you like it's you can you see what you know what's going on but it's only three verses but it's also vague enough that i want the listener to try to be able to apply it to themselves in their lives like I know what Roland's about for me. I know what roads I drove on to get to the town that I was in to move on from. And so that, to me, that song has a specific picture, but I want it to also, for you listening to it or whoever listening to it, I want them to be able to go, yeah, now this is my Roland, you know? There's a therapeutic part of it. Like traveling is tough. I'm away from my family. I'm away from my kids you know, sleeping in my van and it's, it's hard, but you know, you don't want to write about it and be a cry baby. Yeah. Well, I, I think music does, at least for me, that's helped me, but I felt like someday, which is a bit edgier and, and a bit more raw, I feel like, but I feel like that's, that must have very therapeutic for me because there's some anger in this one, I feel like. So I don't know if you remember this about 11 years ago, up here in the Northwest, there was a fella that had, was basically up for the three strikes you're out law. And he was going to go to prison for the rest of his life. But for some reason, on some technicality, he wasn't in jail. And he went to his friends and he said, I'm not going back to jail. Watch this. And he walked into a coffee shop and he wasted four cops. One of them was a dear friend of mine. Growing up in the town that I grew up in, to escape that town, for lack of a better term, you either had to go off to college or a lot of my friends went into public service and they were either police officers or firefighters or paramedics. A lot of them. A lot of them. And Ronnie Owens was one of those police officers. And Ronnie was an outstanding person. He was a total redneck. He had the best mullet you ever saw in your life. He loved muscle cars. He loved 
we played basketball and football together. He was a super athlete. He was like six four, six five, big muscle, muscly guy. He had a daughter, and apparently he was the first one the guy shot. Because I guarantee, if he would have tried to shoot someone else, that guy would have been dead because Ronnie would have killed him. But he shot Ronnie first, and then he shot the other three officers, and then there was a manhunt. They finally got the guy, and he ended up dying. Anyway, I was out getting my Christmas tree. And my neighbor called me and she said, four police officers were just shot in a coffee shop in Parkland. And I knew immediately in the back of my head and my gut that I knew one of them. I just knew. And I was like, so I called my buddy Dave and I said, hey, I just got a text from Maureen. Said there was cops shot in a coffee shop in Parkland. I got a really bad feeling about this. I'm getting a Christmas tree. Will you look into it? He called me back 10 minutes later. He goes, dude, it was Ronnie. I was like, fuck. And it just took the wind out of my sails, man. I mean, I get emotional talking about it. Yeah. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry to hear that. I went home and I went into my studio and I just sat there and I was like, fuck. How did this happen? And that song came out in like 20 minutes. Take me by the hand and lead me back home. See the shadows falling, but I ain't got nowhere to go. They say the better days are coming, but they're not saying when. Someday we'll all be together again. Now the sun may rise this morning, it might be raining by noon. See, you never know it might be coming, so you gotta say I love you soon. And some may now be lost, might feel like it's the end, but someday we'll all be. You know, you and I. What had happened is that I originally there's an original recording of that song. So what I did is I wrote that song. We went into a studio and we recorded it, had it mastered, and within a week, it was available online. And I went on the news and we talked about it. And so, I I, I mean, I couldn't play it live because I was too emotional about it. Yeah. And then it happened to fit in musically, it happened to fit into the lane that... We were down, I was down in California and I was going through all these songs with Jesse and I was like, wow, there's this one and there's this one and there's this one. And then all of a sudden it just popped into my head. I'm like, well, here's this one. So I told him the story and he goes, yeah, play it. So I played it for him and he goes, we got to record that song. We got to record it. He goes, you wrote it for your friend. And you hear the first part of the, the song, the chorus is, says, and as angry as I am, I can't uh -huh. stop thinking about them. But the last one is, I can't stop thinking about my friend. And Jesse said, you got to look past that. He goes, this song could be, he goes, first of all, it's got like this, almost like this Leonard Skinner Southern yeah. rock. Right. He goes, and he goes, as much as I don't want to like pigeonhole people, he goes, that Southern rock crowd is 
they wave American flags pretty hardcore. And this song could be about anyone who was lost in the line of duty in a war. Right. In, you know, anything. He goes, this could be a really powerful song. That can't be denied. Let's not think about them now. Let's focus on the ones who have died. They gave their lives for you and me. It's truly we who are blessed. Let's not let that underscore how sorely they'll be missed. And as angry as I am, I can't stop thinking about my friend. May God have mercy on his soul as we reach down to take him. Again, I still don't play it much because it's tough. So if there's yeah. ang if you hear anger in it, <laughs> there, yeah, well, there's the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, yeah, I think I'll. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry for your, your friends, family. I mean, that's something happened. It was so emotional. It spurred a song. Was able to get it, you know, recorded. And the original version. I mean, when I sing that line about my friend. I, you can hear it. I'm almost in tears. The emotion and the vocals of the original recording are, are in pretty intense. Wow. Well, it's hard to move on from that, but I, I think without <laughs> okay. you and Lost, yeah. Well, without you and Lost, it's a bit more upbeat than the others in the horns. I think you kind of threw a lot in here, and it, this reminds me. And you, we haven't really mentioned much about you, you. You talked about Outlaw Country, but I hear, I hear from Van Morrison. Maybe it's the horns, but yeah. I mean. What's happening here? So without you, I'm lost is this basically the story behind this. It's a true story is. Uh, so if you look on the album cover, if you look on the inside and you see there's pictures of that, like cabin, and there's like a dock and a lake. So that's a place up by Mount Rainier. It's called Mineral Lake. And my buddy's family has a cabin up there. They've had it for hundreds of years. It's like four generations. And we go up there. We swim during the summer. We fish. We hunt in those hills. And there's no cell phone service. There's no TV. It's you go up there and you barbecue and you community, friends get together. And you talk and you tell stories. And I've been going up there since I was a little kid. And that's my happy place. That's where I go to recharge my batteries. So we're sitting on the dock one night, my friend Dave and I. And Dave's a guy, Dave Bickford. He also he co-wrote the song Evergreens. Okay. He co-wrote co this song as well. So we're sitting on the dock one night. We've been drinking whiskey. And it was around midnight. And we're sitting on the dock. And we're just talking. Talking about our lives. About how it turned out. We both are married. We both got kids now. And not necessarily maybe the way that we thought our lives were going to be. But it's like one of those almost like philosophical drunk talks you're having with your buddy. And... Dave knows a lot about music and he's he he's one of those guys that really thinks before he speaks. 
And he was saying this stuff, and I was thinking to myself, these are song lyrics. So I went into the, the boathouse, and I grabbed an old beer box, and I tore it open, and I found a pen. And I started writing down what he was saying. And he kind of looked over me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, just keep talking. <laughs> so I scribbled down whatever I scribbled down. And then the next day, it was I, I always have like a yellow tablet, like a legal pad. And I'm sitting there. We're having coffee. And I'm, it was just he and I, and, and, and we're – we're not talking. I'm just doing, I got this beer box and I'm just tap. And he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? I go, don't you remember what we talked about last night? And he looks at me like, I've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I said, well, we were on the dock talking last night and you were saying all this deep shit and I was writing it down. And then I had been working on this little like progression and I went home and I literally looked at what he had written and it was like, you know, we were talking about being at the cabin, you know, I've seen the sun shine and rising out of the deep blue sea. Cause we, he had come with me to, and he, we had spent summers in Maine at my, at my grandparents' place. Oh. And we'd seen the sun come up over the water. We'd, uh, I've watched it kiss that sweet mountaintop as it rises up above the trees. Like in, in, in from that lake, you can see, I mean, Mount Rainier is right there and there's the trees and the sun. There's this place in Mount Rainier called Sunset Amphitheater. And when the sun's going down at the perfect point, the entire mountain turns bright pink. You know, so we're talking about all the stuff and I'm writing it down. So I came back two weeks later and I said, hey, remember that night we were sitting up here and you asked me what the hell I was writing down. And I was writing down all the stuff you said. I said, hey, it's in a song and now you're co-author of this song. And I played it for him and he was like, dude, that song's awesome. really cool i thought that the way it started out on the record the way we did it it almost it has there's a van morrison feel there's a little bit of a jj kale feel uh -huh. to it and the horns i think are great but again you know jesse calls up i mean he's the producer he can do it i told him i go you can do whatever you want with these songs you have 100 creative control i'm turning it over to you and, you know, he calls me up. He goes, hey, I have an idea. And I'm like, oh, God, I roll my eyes. And I'm like, OK, what is it? He goes, well, I know these guys. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> what do you want to do? I told you you could do whatever you want. He goes, well, I'm thinking about putting horns on a couple songs. And he gets these guys that, like, play with James Brown and stuff. Because like, it's Jesse, who he knows. The guys that are, the guys who did the horn parts on this record are, like, you know, the finest session horn guys. And I'm like, OK. And then he plays me the rough cut of it. And I, and I just start laughing. And he goes, what, don't you like it? I said, no, I love it. I go, had you asked if I ever would have envisioned horns on one of my records, I would have said <laughs> no, because I don't know any horn players. 
but it, it, it then it circles back around to you know when you're making a record and you're working with a producer and you're giving over creative control like that really what you're doing is saying hey let's take a polaroid picture of this song right now today and today what we're going to do is this next week i might play it completely different but today this is what it is so this record is a snapshot in time each of these songs is a snapshot in time of what what we did yeah i mean i think you had a lot of fun with this one but we'll i want to be respectful of your time so we'll wrap things up with the closer goodbyes are the hardest words and i think if i've ever heard a song that screamed album closer <laughs> this is this is probably it i know that you don't write things to say okay this is the closer but i mean how did this one this one well so i was before I moved to California, I had gone down and done the, a songwriting workshop with Jim Messina. So I come back to Seattle after the workshop and I'm like, I'm looking around Seattle. I'm like, okay, the band I was in had broken up. I'm still under a management contract with this guy in Santa Barbara. I had just gone down there and I was like, shit, man, Santa Barbara, I could hang here. I mean, Santa Barbara's beautiful. Yeah. And I got back and I'm looking around. And I'm like, so what's holding me here? What is holding me in Seattle? And at the time, my my now wife, we were we were you know we've been together thirty years, and I said, "You want to move to California?" And I said, "Look, I'm really going down to pursue music." And and she said, "Well, I can." She goes, "You want to move to L.A.?" She goes, "Because I can get a job in L.A. I have a job offer in L.A." And I said, "Well, I don't want to move to L.A. I want to move to Santa Barbara." So, it was a time. Where she, so she was going to move to LA and I was going to move to Santa Barbara. They're only an hour apart, and we were going to like kind of commute relationship for a while, see how that worked. But I wasn't sure if it was going to work out. I didn't know. So we packed up our house. The house was completely cleaned, painted, all her, and I was going to go stay with my sister and friends because I was going to stay for another month and a half and finish work and then go down to Santa Barbara. And I had my van completely packed up with all her shit, mattress on top, loaded to the gills. And I went out to leave that day and it was like, and my van wouldn't start. And I was like, shit. And she had this Honda that she was driving and it was loaded to the gills. And I was like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know what to do. My van won't start. I'm like, shit, I have all your stuff in my van. She's like, look, I've got to go because huh. I've got to be at work on X day, which is going to, you know, it's going to take me two days to get down there. And then I got to go to work. I was like, shit. So I went back in the house and I was standing in this empty house, looking out the bedroom window as she drove away. And I was like, Am I ever going to see her again? Is this going to work out? What is going on? And that song came to me and I wrote it in 15 minutes. The future is now upon us as we're walking hand in hand with nothing really going wrong.
When I first moved to Santa Barbara, I went out to an open mic. And I was new in town and I was scared. I didn't know anyone. So I signed up and I got up there and I'm like, everyone's like looking at me like, who the hell is this guy? And I'm like, hi, hey, my name's Ian. I just got here in town. I just moved here from uh, Seattle. And uh, everyone's playing a new song, so I'm going to play a new song. And I played Goodbyes Are the Hardest Words. And after I got done playing, I walked off stage and this guy walked up to me and he had a tear in his eye. And he's like, who the hell are you? And what was that? And that guy was John Mooey. And he had just gone through a divorce and had to give up his son to his wife in a custody battle. So that song resonated with him and he was in tears. He was a hot mess. And he said, you have to have my friend Jesse record that song. Oh. And at the time I didn't know who Jesse was. He goes, I have a friend, he's a recording engineer and a producer. You have to have him record that song. So 20 years later, I finally record that song with Jesse. Um, well, you sing this one differently too, I feel like. I it's know, an maybe. old song. Yeah. You know, and the voice is an instrument. And it's kind of like you could pick up a Strat or you can pick up a Les Paul or you could pick up an acoustic. If you're a good enough vocalist, and I think I've gotten to the point where I can kind of say I can do this with my voice, is you do it. And sometimes it's not even, it's not a conscious thing. And I thought it was, when we were recording it, I thought it was very special because it was 20 years later and I was actually recording the song with Jesse. And I think of all the songs on the record, I think that Goodbyes Are the Hardest Words could easily be in a movie. It could be, it's kind of like I was joking with Jesse and I was like, remember when Phil Collins did Against All Odds and it was in that movie, uh -huh. you know? To me, this is that, this is my Against All Odds. I, it could be like the soundtrack of a movie. I mean, you could make a movie and call the movie goodbyes are the hardest words and god you could write any script you want about that and this could be the theme song for the movie and i think you know that maybe that's me being wishful thinking um <laughs> great for me financially <laughs> yeah, but, so it's a brilliant i mean it, it's a hit i mean if, if i don't know if they have hits anymore however the industry works these days but i mean it has hit written all over it so. well that's the problem how does the industry work yeah. and i guess my my biggest and if, if all these people like Everything I've learned about the industry is, has been, I've had to fight and scratch and kick and bite my way to get that information that I have. And it's not easy. And you have to kiss a lot of ass. 
and you, to get information, to glean information from people. The one thing I can't get, and it's probably the tightest kept secret in all of any industries on the planet, is how do you get your songs to people so that other people can sing them or that they can get in TV? Because the people that are getting their songs in TV and film, they're not going to tell you who their contact is. Because <laughs> then they might lose their, their meal ticket. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where really what I think it is, is you have to get yourself. And this goes back to what Messina said. He goes, it's not about how good you are. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And you've got to be ready to be in the right place at the right time. But more importantly, you have to be ready to never be in the right place at the right time. So I just need to go out and play and have a good time and do the good human shit and tell my stories and, and meet people and shake hands and kiss babies. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get someone will open a door for me and say, hey, wow, this song could go on a record. Or mm -hmm. this song could go in a movie. Or I work with so-and-so and he would sing this song great. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. I know it's early. You had your big show last night. Uh, you gonna come? I know you talked about wanting to come out east, but if you ever do, <laughs> I'm out to the, I'm in Virginia. I guess my problem is that I've committed so much now, I can't really go back. So mm -hmm. I have to. If they, if they say, if they say, well, we really need to do a second single, I'm going to have to figure out a way to pay for it because if it could parlay into something great, where I could, where I could get where that door could open for me. You know, and if that happens, all it's going to mean is that it's going to finance me being able to go out and do this much easier so I can still pay my mortgage and feed my kid. My son's 12. He's six feet tall, wears a size 15 shoe. I got to feed that monster, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not cheap. Mm -hmm. And and but I chose to drop out and to have a family because that's way more important to me. So at the end of the day, family is more important. But. Chasing my dream is important too, because you only get one shot. Uh -huh. And if you wait, you're gonna run out of time. My that's what my dad said. My dad ran out of time and he was gonna sail off into the sunset with his wife and spend all the money he'd saved his entire life. And then she died and then he died. And he said, if you want to go do something, go do it. Don't wait, because there's no guarantee for tomorrow. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think. I think I've got a legitimate shot. Yeah. I just got to be in the right place at the right time. So. All right. Well, maybe the right person will hear this <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll see what, what happens. But anyway, it's been great to catch up with you again. Thank you. You gave me a lot of time, which I appreciate. And, oh, uh, that's okay, man. I got nothing. I've got a show tonight. Other than that, I think my daughter wants to go thrift store shopping. So uh, and that's when I'm going to Value Village next. No, that was a doozy. Boy, I'm still buzzing after that one that was a hell of an interview i want to thank ian for giving me so much of his time i want to thank you of course for listening check him out ianjonesmusic.com find him on all the social media spotify twitter whatever you whatever you do go find him because i gotta hope and pray that one day he's gonna be a big one anyway thank you for listening stay tuned subscribe and i'll be back at you someday see ya <laughs>